Welcome to Backstory Song. I'm your host, Doug Burke. And today we're here with Alicia Stockman. Alicia Stockman grew up in the rural foothills of the Wasatch Mountains in Midway, Utah. She started playing clarinet in her junior high orchestra, but wanted to play, as she said, something a little bit cooler and took up guitar. She obsessed over the online guitar archive tablature database and taught herself a lexicon of music. She began writing her own songs, and her folksy blend of country and soul drives her lyrical narratives. She's influenced by strong female songwriters like Patti Griffin, the Indigo Girls, and Susan Tedeschi. She combines her rhythm guitar with creative, tasteful phrasing and sweet, soulful vocals. The critics have started to notice as she has recently received a number of awards at songwriting festivals. Alicia Stockman, and the first song we want to talk about is The Porterhouse. Yeah, we can talk about that. And this was your first single. This is my first single. It came out last November, so coming up on a year anniversary of that. And yeah, but now it's part of my six-song EP that I have out. Fantastic. Yeah. So tell us about the origination of this song. Okay. Uh, so The Porterhouse came from, I went to Ireland, usually the last year or the year before. It's hard to remember these days, but... Um, I was there for three weeks. My boyfriend and I rented a camper van and drove around the country. Um, it was just this big, long adventure. Um, a lot of people ask me if it was a musical tour, but it really wasn't. It was more just like a big hurrah, like we're never going to, when's the next time we're going to be able to go out of town for three weeks and not have to worry about anything. Um, so it was really just more just a time to have fun, go seek out good times and music and whatever. So it was, it was more of just an adventure than it was a tour. I was in my mind, locking away, like potential, like, Oh, when I come back and go on tour in Ireland, I'm going to go to these places. Um, but we ended up in this town, Westport in County Mayo. It's on the farthest Western coast of Ireland. And we were seeking out this famous bar. It's called Matt Malloy's pub. And it's, um, Matt Malloy is a famous member of the chieftains, which is a famous Irish trad band. Um, they've been around for a really long time and everybody in Ireland knows who they are. And most Irish trad bands know who they are. Um, but we went there expecting great music and we're like, gonna, you know, you never know who's going to drop in. Some like really big time artists could stop in just to like hang out. So we went in and it ended up being really crowded. And there were all these, um, the music was great. There was some really awesome musicians there that night, but it was really 
crowded in a small room and there was all these stuffy old ladies who were just like holding down their spots. And so there was nowhere to sit. And they kind of, you know, we were like standing in the doorway, like trying to like peek our heads in and, and watch this music. And so we ended up going next door because it was just a little too crowded. We wanted to sit down, have a beer. So then bar next door happens to be the Porter house. So we went in and it wasn't as crowded. It was a little bit more cozy and uh, there was some really good music there. So we're like, oh, great. Like this isn't Matt Malloy's famous pub, but this is also really great. And we ended up hanging out there in the staff there was really nice and they had some awesome music. And at the bartender, he played music as well. So he was kind of waiting for his moment. And as soon as that moment arose, he got up and played some Johnny Cash songs, which I was just, I was like, I came all the way to Ireland to hear Irish people play Johnny Cash of all things. I think that he might be the most famous musician in Ireland. Johnny Cash might be the favorite, <laughs> but, um, so he played some songs and then, uh, I got to, they let me to play a couple songs later that night. And so, um, do you remember what you played? I, I don't remember. I was playing a lot of cover songs then cause I think I was just worried. Like, I don't know. I was just really wanted people to like, no, I played a couple songs of my own, but I think I played a couple covers too. The other thing is they all really, like, I was, I was all self-conscious that I didn't know any Irish traditional songs and, and they were like, no, no, no. We hear those all the time. Like play American music, play whatever you want to play. So I played like some like American classic rock covers or some folk songs and stuff. And they really, it, people loved it. So it was really fun. I played a couple songs and then we ended up just making friends with the bar staff and the people who are running the music that night. And so we ended up coming back the next night because they were having an open trad session the next night. And so there's kind of a little bit more, you know, coming and going and playing of songs and whatnot. I actually didn't write anything while I was in Ireland. I brought like blank notebooks with this intention of spending a lot of time journaling and coming up with lyrics. And I like borrowed a guitar from somebody that we'd like trucked around the country with us and I didn't write anything. And so when I got home, I was like, okay, now I can decompress. I can spend some time with like, I tried to write down as many like experiences as far as um, like sensory experiences, like sights, smells, sounds, textures and everything. And I came away with like the only song I wrote of, I thought I was going to write like 15 songs about Ireland, but I wrote one. <laughs> but I'll take the one that I got though. And um, so I wrote The Porter House and I think that that, mo that experience stuck with me just because it went from being a bar to being something that really represented more about music and community for me, just showing up and getting to know people and then, you know, saying like, oh, this is a great spot to go have a beer. And then getting to know the, you know, the bar staff and the people running the music and being like, oh, there's, there's more to it than just a nice, you know, a pint of Guinness or whatever. The way that people listen to music in Ireland and the way that they appreciate music in these pubs was just so powerful to me in that it's, it's more about like people listen. And I think that's something here. I often, I've played in bars and restaurants a lot. I've been background music, what I like to call audible wallpaper. I've been that a lot. And I played, you know, these three hour gigs where I'm playing cover songs and occasionally someone will come up and be like, Oh, do you know Landslide by Fleetwood Mac? And I'll be like, <sighs> instead of being like, Oh, would you like to hear something I wrote? Or would you like to know who I am as an artist? Instead, they want to hear a song that they know already. So it was really cool to just watch people really engage with music in this way. That's just really important to them. And traditional Irish songs, I think are so powerful because it's really, it is folk music and it's, um, the way that people carry on 
stories and histories and knowledge passed down through generations. And it's kind of interesting because everybody knows these songs in Ireland. Like everybody, it's like our nursery rhymes, but it's like for every generation and they've been passed down for generations. Everybody knows them. And so they all connect through this, these different songs. Um, so for me, that was really powerful, like just the way that they mem- mem- remembered music, um, used it in their daily lives. And it came and brought people together as community. So for me, it was the second verse. We kind of start out light, you know, head on down the porterhouse, have a, have a pint, you know, hang out. Like, it's like my trip advisor review. It's a good place to go. <laughs> and then we kind of go into like, oh yeah, Pat's there. And Pat is, was the bartender there at night who sang Johnny Cash. And I was like, you know, you're going to have a good time. But then we go into the porterhouse, you know, we bring around the next chorus and it's kind of building on that idea of community. And so then the second verse or however you want to look at it is really about like, what do these songs represent? And they bring us to, you know, they, they're bringing about that sense of community and memory, you know, grief. There's a lot of sadness in songs. There's a lot of joy in songs, but a song is a song. It does what it will. It will. A song has a lot of purposes and no matter where you are, whether like Nashville or American home of so much music and songwriting compared to like these other Irish traditional songs, like it doesn't really matter. Like they're going to move you one way or another. So for me, it was really just about that journey of like starting out with just, Oh, a great place to hang out to like, Oh my gosh, this means so much more to me as sense of community and yeah, expressions and memory and all the different functions of a song. So that's the long-winded version of what that song means. So a lot of your songs um, are about a time and a place and a memory of those moments. Mm-hmm. There's a moment here, but it's more than a moment. It's an evening. Yeah. And it's a very specific evening, right? It's a Monday evening, is it? Well, yeah. <laughs> Which is not usually the best night in a bar. Also, it fit better in the song than Wednesday <laughs> or Saturday. I mean, lyrically, but... Someone explained it to me once, and I, I kind of lashed onto it. Ben Soleil, he's a cellist. He plays in a band called Ben Soleil and the Kentucky Natives. And he said, he like, when he writes, he writes songs, um, is he takes, like, this microscopic view of something and then pulls out. And by the end of the song, you have this, like, big view. And for me, it's like that, but with, like, a moment in time. So you're like, oh, well, here's this moment that's imbued with sensory experiences, like sight, smell, taste, texture. And so it can build up the scene where you're, you know, there and then you pull out away from it and you're like, whoa, this isn't just the smell of Guinness on draft or whatever. Like this moment is more than just having a beer with your friends. This moment is why we come here. You know, it's an explanation of like, we don't just come to have a beer. Like there's so much more that we come to experience. We experience connection. We go to bars to experience connection and like not necessarily bars per se, but the way that these bars, these pubs the way that people connected, like pubs are a place of community where you go to see your friends, talk about business to like unload after a long day at work or to just see regulars and everybody knows each other and that kind of thing. So it was like, we went from the sights and sounds and smells of this bar and the people there to like this bigger picture, zoom out. And then you're like, whoa, there's so much more to it than that. So that's kind of like where I take these moments into like the bigger, the 10,000 foot view. So talk to me a, a little bit about the creation of the songs. There's a lot of different instruments. Um, in particular, I was thinking about Billy Joel's Piano Man <laughs> and and how this is sort of an acoustic singer-songwriter's version of that, sitting in a pub and watching 
characters evolve to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. There's probably more characters in Piano Man than this. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> um, but, but talk to me about the creation of the sound. Like the arrangement and everything. Um, well, this, there's some backstory to um, the creation of this EP and these singles, which ties in a lot to it. I played with a band for a really long time. I played in bars and restaurants with this band and we played a lot of cover songs. And so I kind of was working with the resources I had. And there, I was really lucky to have some really talented musicians that I've been working with for a long time. And they were on board with creating these things. And, and I am like eternally grateful for their help in this process because it was intense and a really steep learning curve. But they really helped me out to bring these songs to life in a different way. It was a very DIY project. So if you look at the CD cover, I'll show it to you, but it's Needlepoint because I was in the spirit of DIY. We made everything ourselves. I did all like the digital distribution. My drummer, Nick, he did all of the and sound like recording engineering and we sent it to a friend of ours in Austin to do the mixing. And like, it was just like a hodgepodge of, you know, we'd get together on like a Tuesday afternoon for a couple hours. And we were recording in um, a practice space in Salt Lake where other bands also rehearsed. So we kind of like had to time it right when these other heavy metal bands weren't playing so we could record vocals and stuff. So it was, you know, it was an experience, but we had this great piano player, his name's Pete, and he just he just brought a really nice flavor to it. I hadn't really played with a piano player a lot. He wasn't in the band originally. He came on the project just to help record this EP. And it was a really nice taste because I used to be in, the band used to be like more rock and blues and soul. And so we had like loud electric guitars and like, you know, we were kind of a party band. So it was really fun to switch it up and have this beautiful piano. And I feel like the song really calls for it. If I had my dream, like, oh, for sure, there'd be like a fiddle in there and some mandolin or something, some more of those like trad traditional instruments for folk. And I would love to maybe someday it'll get a re-release and a facelift with those sounds because I think it'd be super fun. But I do think the piano really brought a nice melodic feel to it. Whereas a lot of it, we had mostly like um, rhythmic instruments between like bass drums and acoustic guitar. It was really a nice touch to have that. And then um, Meg Frampton sang harmony vocals on it. And I think that that helped bring in a nice feeling. The other thing too, is then the end of the song, there's this like la di 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 part. And it's just kind of some made up lyrics, but it, a lot of the, the other thing that happened at these bars was everybody sang along. So people would be playing a song and of course everybody knows every Irish traditional song there. And so they would just sing along and everyone there is a great musician. And it just blew my mind. I'm like, this country is ridiculous. Like everyone's talented and they just like, Oh yeah, no big deal. It's fine. And so everyone would be singing along. So to me, like that part was the, like, you know, your beer in hand, your shoulders around your friend and you're just kind of singing along. And I feel like there's a, there's a minor chord in there. That's that kind of brings it a little darker, but I think that that's important too, in that it's like, it's not always friends in low places. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not always just a drinking song and drinking songs have other purposes too. And so for me, like the harmony vocals in that section are, are supposed to me represent like that community sing along feel. So, yeah. yeah. So that kind of explains. And there's a, you know, a dark side to a lot of Celtic traditions yeah. as well. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like in the, in the song, there's a line that says, oh, what is it? In a country that sings to remember its grief, you know, Ireland's been through some shit. <laughs> like, you know, just like 800 years of British occupation. So they have a lot of 
songs to remember those moments and like it's kind of a never forget thing and there's also songs about lost love there's songs about going to war there's songs about um immigrating and all these under like these wonderful stories that are held in these songs and those moments are important to remember too even if they're not cheerful i like the la-di-da because if I don't know the lyrics, I can sing with you <laughs> yeah. on that part. And do you, when you do that live, does the audience sing along to that ever? Sometimes. I, there's, you get that magic chemistry going? <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of places where I've been able to play it. I've been pursuing kind of more, less fewer bars and restaurants and more singer-songwriter listening room situations. Um, I was recently in Austin, Texas at a conference called SWERFA, Southwestern Regional Folk Alliance. And um, I got to showcase, I was in the unofficial alternate showcase, which means we have this conference where we bring artists and venues and bookers and promoters together and you play your music for these people. And they kind of, we kind of build a network. And I got to play for everybody. <laughs> As I'm playing the song, I'm like, if there's anyone more qualified to help me out with this part of the song, I just can't imagine it. Like I'm a room full of folk singers. <laughs> so I'm like, please join me on this. And so... Everyone stepped in and sang it with me in like four part harmony. I was like, this is a dream. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it was really cool. So I was like, you know, you'll pick up on this. So it was really fun to have people join in on that. It was fun. Is that recorded? No, it's oh. not. Unfortunately, that'd be, that'd be sweet. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Backstory Song. If you like our podcast, you can become a patron at our Patreon page, where you will receive bonus interview tracks with your favorite songwriters, and early release access to upcoming episodes. It is only $3 per month or the price of a cup of coffee to become a Backstory Song patron. I have a song that's not recorded, but I guess it's it's a good songwriter story in that it's like one of those songs that's never done. Do you want to do that? Uh, we, we can, sure. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I guess, Let's would you play that. it for me? I yeah, guess. I can play it for <laughs> okay. you. And then... At least in its current state, I'll get the yeah. most current version. It might get a new, another chorus yeah. makeover, but... That's fine. That's fine. Cool.
For all of my secrets Not once did you let your guard like the finishes <laughs> that's called from the distance yeah so it's beautiful <laughs> um, so tell me about the story the inspiration behind this song oh, the song the song is um it's i don't know feels like my white whale <laughs> like i've been working on this song since november i think two years ago and I still don't feel like it's done. So you're like the Captain Ahab. Uh, yeah. And I this just, is I just, a Moby Dick kind of thing. Yeah. Like it just, it just doesn't, it's so close. And it's been through, it has been through probably like seven versions of chorus. <laughs> and and ver some verse changes here and there. Bridge options. Like I just, like there's so much to it that I love. And then there's parts of it that I just like aren't quite there, but I think this is this to me is the closest it's been, which is nice. So, how do you decide when a song is I don't done? No, <laughs> I've asked this to yeah. me, and I think it is actually a very interesting. It's so hard. Question. Like, yeah. When is a song done? When and and so, you know, like Clapton redid Layla, like you know, right? A song could never be done if you want to redo it. Yeah, you know, that yeah, and I think songs evolve, and it's just funny. Like, I don't know. They always evolve. Like, as, as I evolve as a performer, they're going to change. Um, as a songwriter, like, I learn things, and I don't want to, like, you know, I want to go back and be like, oh, that, like, that technique that I used then isn't the right technique for that emotion. So I want to go back and fix it. 
or change it, but sometimes you just have to like move on to the next song and just use those skills in the next one instead of the last one. <laughs> but this <laughs> and put that one in the distance. <laughs> yeah, you just like leave it there. It's yeah. gonna be fine. <laughs> but this one, yeah, I just it's getting close, huh? I feel it's close. For me, the verses are really strong, and this song I wrote in a phase where. For a while, I was writing, I started at the beginning of a song. It can work, but it depends if I have, like, what my plan for the song is. So, like, if I know what the song's going to be about, I can start at the beginning because when I get to the chorus, I've already kind of know what the guts of the song are going to be, if the song has a chorus. Not all songs have choruses. But this song I wrote, I started at the beginning because I had this idea of this relationship that I was, that I'm writing about. So when I got to the chorus, I don't know that I had the guts quite yet. So it took me a while to figure out, okay, this is the relationship that I'm singing about, but what does it represent? Like, what is like the thesis statement of this relationship that I'm trying to convey in the chorus? So that's why it's went, it's been through so many different iterations because I was trying to figure out like the most important line is the most important line, the first line or the last line. Is it, you know, their the song is called why you walked away for a long time. Um, and so, like, it used to be, like, in basically reverse order. So it was, um, you know, it would end up with why you walked away was how the chorus would end. And now it starts with that. It says, why did you walk away? What is it you didn't say? And for me, this relationship was based, this is a, a, a person, this isn't a, this isn't a romantic relationship. It's a friend of mine. And we kind of fell away from each other. And um, for me, there was, there was no ever closure. And so, but that's kind of my thing is like, is, are we like no longer friends? Like, are we still friends? Like, and I, but I think that's something that's true in a lot of relationships, whether they're romantic or not. Like, I feel like there's sometimes that parental relationship can be that way. Like with some people who have like weird relationships with their parents, it's, you know, I think that's a really relatable feeling of like, what happened? Like, tell me, can we talk about it? And like never having talked about it and you're just left in the dark and you're like, what's going on? So that's like what the song's about. But with the chorus, like for some reason, I just could never, I've, it, I just haven't been able to get it to land right. That just sums it up concisely the way I want it to. And so I feel like if I, if I ever, if I decide to tackle it again, maybe like a shorter chorus might be <laughs> the thing, just like trim it down even because this is a pretty wordy song, but I really like the the verses. And like we talked about in the porterhouse, like those moments where you're like, they're little moments and then you zoom out. And so you have those little moments where you just like find yourself like thinking like, what went wrong? And you zoom out and you're like, oh my gosh, like, is it me? Is it you? Is it us? Is it that time that we had that big fight? Like all those things. And so like the verses to me are really expressive in that way. And I, I want the chorus to line up in the same way. So I don't know, like it might be there. It might not be there. But the song, I got to play it um, at the wild, there's a, music festival in Dallas, Texas, or Richardson, Texas, north of Dallas, the Wildflower Performing, I guess, Wildflower Arts and Music Festival. And they had a songwriter contest, the Al Johnson Performing Songwriter Contest, and I played it there, and it got second place. So it can't be that bad. <laughs> so it must be doing okay. <laughs> if it makes you happy, yeah. it can't be that bad. <laughs> it can't be that bad, so it's not that far off. But yeah, it's just, it's just one of those songs that it's just on a journey, and... There's so much about about that I love, and I, I don't want to give up on it. And maybe it's there. Maybe I just need to sit with it for a few more months and 
I mean, it's, I'm already invested two years in, so what's another six months with this song? <laughs> it's not recorded for that reason. And so. I, I couldn't tell if there was romance involved in the song. Yeah. The desire for there to be romance that failed. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I wasn't sure if that was part of the song or not. That could be a thought in one person's head and not in the other. Or right. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> and so, yeah, like when I, as a writer, I wasn't writing it from a romantic perspective, but I also left it open because it's at such a common trope in romantic relationships. And I'm like, everyone has felt that way at some point, or most people have felt that way at some point or another. Like I said, with whoever it is. And I was thinking, I'm like, you could even put this in the context of like an estranged sibling that like, you, you know, like that happens all the time. And so... Um, I've had a lot of people who hear the song say like, oh yeah, like they come to me and they say, oh, that feeling of lost love and da, da, da. And I'm like, and if, I think when people say that, that's a lens into their lives more than it is into mine. And their interpretation of it is going to pull out their experience, which to me is a huge compliment in that, like it connected with that person in a way that brought up a memory or emotion or an experience that hit the nail on the head for me, which I'm like, okay, I did my job. That's all I have to do. Like, it doesn't have to be me telling you how I feel about this person and our relationship. And you need to understand how I feel about this person. It's my job as a songwriter is not for me to tell you how I feel, but to give, to open a door for us to have a dialogue and experience something together. So I'm going to draw on your memories through these images that I'm using. So for me, I don't care if people think about it as romantic. I'm like, great. Like that's your experience. And that's cool that you're connecting in a way that's bringing up something for you. I think a lot of songs are about closure and this one's about how in life there is sometimes no closure or, or at yeah. moments in time, yeah. there's a lack of closure on things mm -hmm. and how that affects your brain. Yeah. And I, I yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think too, it's like, Maybe, oh my gosh, I just had an epiphany. Maybe that's why I can't finish the song. Because <laughs> I don't have closure. <laughs> but yeah, with, with this song, I mean, we've all been there. And you get to this point, well, for me, to be clear, like this relationship, I write songs, you know, they're not 100% biographical. They start as a moment I experience, and then I go from there. So um, there's parts of truth, and there's parts that are storytelling what's the point at which you give up and what's the point at which you do something about it? And what's the point where like you no longer can do anything about it, you know? And so it's like with this relationship, it's like, are you able to just call the person out and say like, dude, what's the deal? Like, let's talk about this. Or is that person long gone and you're never going to get to talk about it? And if that's the case, like, do you get your opportunity to like, you're never going to get your questions answered. So do you just, wonder or do you learn to let it go and so i think like this song is intentionally left open-ended on that feeling of like this song is about that wondering you know and you're left with that feeling of wondering so there is no closure which is probably why the song's not done <laughs> or maybe doesn't feel done and maybe that's maybe how it's supposed to feel i don't know Backstory Song's mission is to help songwriters and their work get found and discovered so they can make a living and keep on creating great songs. The best way to pay a songwriter is to listen to their songs. Unfortunately, with the decline of radio listeners, songwriters who live off royalties do not make the same royalties they used to. 
Please help out the Backstory songwriters by listening to their songs on our playlist. Share Backstory song episodes with your friends on your social media and encourage them to do the same. By liking and sharing Backstory song on your social media, you'll be helping the songwriters on this podcast. talk about we fit together yeah this is a new single off of your yeah this was the most recent single on the ep it came out like uh, april or may something like that i should know but it came out in the spring tell me the story behind the song this song was um at a time in my songwriting i was writing i really like sad songs i mean who doesn't love a good sad song and i've been writing a lot of you know minor chord songs kind of heavy stuff and a lot of stuff in six, eight time at the time. And so this was a very intentional, like write something lighthearted, something kind of upbeat and have fun with it and just kind of switch it up. And like, I think that's something as a songwriter, I have learned about myself that I will get caught up in myself in that the next song you write has to be the best song I've ever written. Like I put it up there with my favorite songs of all time. Like one of my favorite songs is Ghost by the Indigo Girls. And it's a really beautiful and well-crafted song. And I'd put that as my like, okay, now I'm going to write a song as good as that. Not that they haven't been doing it for like decades and have so many, so much, like so much experience and so much knowledge that like not every song I'm going to write is going to be ghost. I have to like flip gears to be like, just write a song, any song. It'll be fine. It's better than not writing any songs at all. And so it was very intentional, like just write something fun and lighthearted. And I had kind of been stuck for a while before I wrote this song And I remember sitting on my front porch and just being like apologizing to the muse that I had not been giving her apt attention or freedom in my life. And I like literally said the words out loud. I'm like, I'm really sorry, but I haven't been giving you enough attention. And I promise to make a better effort that I will like, you know, let you drive the bus instead of me trying to like be all picky about it and write these like epic songs, which was then stalling me from writing anything. And so like the next day, this like a lot of the guts of this song like came to the surface and I was able to write rather quickly. And then I had to work for like the last couple, like the last probably verse bridge situation. But um, I just remember like I had like a, that was a very good heart to heart that I had with my inner songwriter and my muse about like how the songwriting process should go for me. You know, in a wishy-washy kind of emotional state. But I also think like when you're dealing with creativity, you have to open your mind to options. <laughs> you can't just, it can't be all rigid all the time. What I really like about the song is you avoid cliche. <laughs> Thank you. In the things that fit together. Mm-hmm. Um, Hall of Notes is a little bit different. 
Um, Huge Hall Notes fan over here. Okay. I love Hall Notes. <laughs> and yeah. it's not just jam and toast, it's homemade jam and toast. Talk about that. Talk about how you thought about things that fit together that yeah. fit the song and what you were trying to say. Hmm. Well, of course, there's the rhyme of hollow notes that I had to work around that I set myself up for. So that was challenging. Uh, so I, I spent a lot of time like just writing down things that went together that also rhymed with oats. <laughs> so I had like a whole bunch of different things and a lot of stuff got mixed that just didn't make it in the song that was just like either just weird or didn't make sense or like brought up other images that were not um, fun and lighthearted that like took you down. And so I like had to like cross stuff off the list. And then I did pull some friends on, you know, like, um, musical pairs that I could also put in like Jets to your Benny and, um, Sunny to share to my Sunny and, uh, June to your Johnny. And then I also, sometimes when I play it live, my boyfriend's a very big fish fan. He loves the band fish. And so I'll sing it. Um, I'll be the Mike to your tray, which is the two. It's so nerdy. It's like the nerdiest thing. <laughs> Only fish fans. <laughs> Only fish fans. But we get like, that, oh, but there are a lot of them around here. Yeah. So <laughs> like there's a, every once in a while, if I play it live, I'll, I'll sing it. If he's there, especially I'll play it like Mike to your tray, <laughs> which is so nerdy. Like the whole point was to have fun with it. So I had to keep them, whatever my references were going to be, they had to be lighthearted rhyme. And they just kind of had to like, you know, be a given that they went together, but there was a, there was a long list. And so I picked just a few that I thought went together well. And also with like the quirkiness of the other aspects of the song, they have to be kind of quirky. Hence oh, homemade jam and toast. <laughs> and so was this specifically about your boyfriend or is this about a, a generalized uh, yeah, a quirky I mean, person? There's definitely like, there's definitely some very specific references to our relationship. And I have alienated some people in our, there's a lyric. It's, um, do you think we're the luckiest ones? Or is our story more than just chance? What are the odds I'd find someone else who hates cheap trick cucumbers and holding hands? <laughs> Those are three things that neither of us like to do. <laughs> yeah, a lot of cheap trick fans are not. We've had some chats, but I'm like, you know what? I don't really like cheap trick and I'm sorry about it. And everyone is entitled to their opinions. <laughs> I love that line in the song, but it was making me think, what's so wrong about Surrender? It's not a bad <laughs> song. It's like, can't you like Surrender? I think. But don't I, give yourself away. Did you ever sing that in an open mic night or one of your, one of your uh, I think cover it's if you games? want me to want you, like I want you that to want one. me. It's just like, this. it's just carried them so far and I just don't I really want you that, to want me. I just don't think that it's that great of a song and it's just taken them so far. <laughs> I don't understand. I can understand hating that song. Yeah. So I think but it's. But Surrender. Really you know. But don't give yourself away. It's a different subject, obviously. Than, <laughs> See, but it's it in your song. Up, it I do brings up some emotions for people <laughs> about Cheap Trick. But Well, I'm sorry if you found this podcast through a Cheap Trick search. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, give me a chance. It's just this one reference. But. And holding hands, huh? Yeah. I don't know. We're not big hand holders. So. Yeah, yeah. I guess there's a lot of other things. Than, than holding hands. Yeah. Um, See, there's other things. Like the next line is, who else would know how to woo me with bourbon and Battlestar on the couch? So we left to watch, drink bourbon and watch Battlestar Galactica. Those are some other things, you know, it's not everything's built on holding hands. <laughs> do you have favorite bourbon? I do. Right now, um, Knob Creek is very high on my list. Okay. So hashtag Knob Creek. <laughs> 
There's beautiful uh, piano and harmonies mm-hmm. on this song. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, I enjoyed the arrangement on this song. A lot of the songs in my EP I wrote before, or not before my band, but like just separate from my band. Like there were songs I was writing and playing at solo shows and my band was doing something different. And this song I was in the band, we were actively writing. And so I kind of wrote it with them in mind of like, okay, I'm going to write the song and then I'm going to let them help me dictate how this goes because they have all this talent. They hear things differently than I do, especially my drummer, Nick Price. He's excellent with rhythm. Um, he's just really good all around. And so he has some cool creative ideas that I would just never think of. I'm very like, I'm not creative when it comes to rhythmic patterns whatsoever. So I kind of let him take the lead on that. And so there's this, the way that the drums on the snare roll through and the way I had been, I adjusted my guitar playing to match up with how he was playing it because his was a little bit more swung and that kind of made it sit back a little bit, which I liked. And then we all kind of adapted to that. And then, yeah, there's a major seventh chord in there. And so I think that that plays well with like the piano kind of have like, there's a lot of like runs, like a, you know, runs down the scale and he like lays over things. And I thought it was really nice how he did that. And who did that? um, My friend Pete, (laughs) but Pete, he played on all the six songs in the, on the EP. And he is out of, I guess he's from Florida, but he's been living in Salt Lake for a while. And so we met up with him to work on this project. Yeah, he just really brought a nice flavor to it. The harmonies in it, I think, are really nice because they just kind of fill out the sound. And Meg Frampton sang those, and she's got, like, this really beautiful, like, sweet voice, and she just adapts really well. It's, like, really light and airy, and so it kind of served the song well in these, like, different chords that we had overlaid. So, like, in the chorus, we go from a B minor to a B7 the second time you come through, so it kind of changes the tone a little bit. And she adapted really nicely to that with some ooze in the background and and layered that really well. And I, th- I liked how it just kept like this just lighthearted nature throughout the whole thing. So everybody brought something different to the table that kept that part in it. So it was really fun to write the song from a perspective of like, okay, my theme is lighthearted. And then everyone played their instrument or offered their skill set in the best way possible for its lightheartedness. And I can't leave out Nick Steffens, who played bass on it. He's a rock star on bass. So he did a great job on that too. And yeah, brought really good ideas to the table and, you know, badassery on the bass just generally. (laughs) Yeah. When I play it live, uh, it's fun to, I I throw on some hollow notes at the end. I sing Rich Girl over the outro, (laughs) which is fun. So yeah, I, I love the song though. It's, it's fun. It's a nice switch up in my set where sometimes I'm like, you know, I have some of these heavier songs or songs with a lot of deep meaning. And this is like, you don't have to invest a lot in the song. I have a song idea suggestion on this one. Okay. I think this would be really cool if it was a male-female duet. Mm, that can be fun. Where you alternate aspects, either lines or even choruses or verses. Oh, totally. And harmonize like throughout at points where yeah. you fit together. I feel like there's, you know, there's no pronoun issues. We could totally work that in there. It'd be great. <laughs> I don't know who the right male voice is for either. that. I will have to work but, on that part. But, but. Uh, I don't know if that's a good idea or a bad idea. I have a lot of ideas. And people <laughs> say, idea oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You feed tuna fish mayonnaise. <laughs> <laughs> what song would you like to talk about next? Ooh. Well, I would like to do the song Grace. And I have about my niece. It's also not recorded, but okay. um, I'm kind of in this place in my songwriting right now where like it was a lot of effort to get those six songs recorded. 
bed, like I'd been writing songs here and there for a while. And so it took a while to compile those songs and it took a while to record those songs. And while I was recording those songs, I was also writing new stuff. And so it's been, yeah, it's been about a year since the Porterhouse came out. And so all those songs were in production about a year ago. And then, um, they came out in the EP this spring, but some of those songs are like five, six years old to me, like there's these songs, like I have evolved as a songwriter a lot since some of those songs were recorded, not saying they're not good. I love them. They're my song children and I love them, but there's also like this new material that I'm coming up with that I'm really excited about. And I'm very proud of as far as my, um, songwriting has just, I just feel like I'm in this new chapter of songwriting. That's just so much better than it was. I would like to think that I'm getting better and not worse at this. So, <laughs> so yeah, I have a song about my niece that I would like to play for you.
So that's your niece, Grace. Yeah, her middle name is Grace. So. My daughter's middle name is Grace. My her, her name's Layla Grace. That's I, and that song has that's taken. <laughs> Layla's <laughs> already taken, so <laughs> I wrote about Grace. <laughs> I like the way it opens with the dandelion, mm-hmm. and that seems like a child thing to do. <laughs> is the song just about? A child, or is it about grown-ups too? And, Ooh, no one's ever asked me that before. Yeah. Um, I wrote this song about my niece as a child. She's six; she's gonna be seven soon. But like when she, when she was born, I wanted to write a song about her. But I was also my first niece, nephew, whatever. It was like super important, and so I put this like weird onus on it. Like it has to be, it has to be good because I can't just write a song for my niece that's like just okay. And so it took me six years <laughs> to get around to it. And I just kind of like, I never, I never even tried to write it because I was just like, I don't even know where to start. And then one day I sat down and it just like, I was like, okay, I'm going to write a song today. I've got like some time to have the house to myself. Let's do this. And it just like hit me. And I was like, today's the day I'm going to write Layla's song. I'm going to write it about her. The cool thing about her being six in writing it, which was better than when she was born, is that I know her so much better as a person now. Like, it was easy because she has so much about her that makes her her and unique that I was just like, oh, well, she's like a wild child flower. She loves nature. She loves butterflies. She loves to catch bugs and lizards. And that is so much material to work with. (laughs) And so it's, it really is, it's truly about her as a child and as a person and like what makes her special. It really is just a tribute to her in her uniqueness. And it's interesting that you asked me that because it's like some of these things like probably are going to be evergreen with her, you know, like these are the things that make her her and will probably make her her for a long time, you know, as she grows and evolves. But I don't, I never thought of it from the perspective. Like for me, it's just really, it's truly just when I play it, I think about her and I think about those images and the lightning bolt line where it's you know, a white hot lightning bolt makes me laugh every time because she is just like quick on the draw with these corrections. She's so smart and she'll just correct you. Like when she was three, we were playing with these like, she loves like animal figures, the ones that are um, realistic, not like pink and blue or whatever. They have to be realistic. And we were playing with these like whales and dolphin toys and someone said like, oh, the shark's going to get you. And she just goes, uh, that's an orca. Like, so specifically, I'm like, you're three, like how, like, and that's like kind of like white hot lightning bolt where I'm like, she's beautiful, big blue eyes, cute little sprinkle of freckles on her cheeks. And, but also like just quick as a whip, like. It's not a get, shark. It's a whale. Yeah. <laughs> and it's an orca specifically. <laughs> so it's like, you can't get anything by her and. Like, I love that about her, that she's just, she's just going to keep us on her toes always. There's this childlike wonder at nature, you know, dandelions and spider webs. And mm-hmm. like, as a grown up, those are weeds and pests. Yeah. That, you, you know, you think about them differently mm-hmm. than when you're grown up. You're like, I need to get all those cobwebs off my front porch. And she's like, Ooh, look at this cool thing. <laughs> and there's that. And so I really love that. So it, to me, it does actually set this, the story about a, a, a child's worldview. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, it, I mean, that's awesome. 
I love that. <laughs> it, it it is definitely her worldview. It is. I guess it is a lens. Like for me to say that she's she's every color in the sunset. She's a constant state of change. Um, you know. I guess that's my worldview as it as it is experienced through her. So you know, like I mean, that's kind of true of all songs, right? Like as much as it is about her, it's about my perception of her in through the world I experience. So yeah, I mean, it is my adult experience through these magical things that she still looks at as magical. And like, maybe I could stand to do that too. The song didn't get a lot of rewrites per se. It's funny. It was written in the third person for a while. So it was, she's every color in the sense that she's a constant state of change. She's delighting all those things. Um, and I played it at, at this, I was at this camp called Song School, Rocky Mountain Song School, and everyone gets to play a song on the main stage. Well, not the main stage, but the stage that we have. And this was a song I played, and my friend Wyatt Espelin played violin on it, and it was so beautiful. I actually, when I wrote it, I was like, I'm going to leave space for Wyatt to play violin on this someday. And I got my dream. My dream came true, and it was lovely. I had a great time playing it. The sound was always magical, and it was really fun. And then I get off stage, and there's this guy there, his name's Pat Pattison, and he's an instructor at Berkeley. So he teaches at Berkeley. He teaches at the song school. And I've taken classes from him before, and I love his um, approach to songwriting. And I, I'm definitely drinking the Pat Pattison Kool-Aid. I'm on board with his message about songwriting. And some people can take his feedback as maybe not so much constructive criticism as just plain criticism. <laughs> but... I've worked with him before. And so I really appreciate anything as to say, like, he's not, he's not super complimentary. He's more there to like help you be better songwriter than he is to tell you how great you are all the time. So I play the song and I get off the stage I'm singing, you know, she's every color in the sunset. She's a constant state of change is how I performed it. And he just comes over to me after I get off stage and people are like, Oh, great job. And he comes over and he's like, I want you to say that about me. And so I turn to him, I say, Pat, you're every color in the sunset. <laughs> And he's like, no, it's song needs to be in direct address. So he's saying the song needs, you know, it's a powerful song. It's got great imagery, but say it to me. So say it instead of saying she's every color in the sunset, say you're every color in the sunset. Not, not terrible, terribly a lot to rewrite. Like I just had to change some pronouns and I like got it all figured out, but it was crazy. Like for me writing about my niece, I was like trying to tell the world how great she is. I'm like, I should just tell her how great she is. And so I switched everything to like meet to I and you. And it just like, the song was like, okay, now it's done. Like it's done. Like no question about it. Like we're there. And so that was a really cool, like just, but it was really, it was a huge compliment for Pat Patterson to get up out of his chair to come over and tell me that I needed to make a change. <laughs> so have you played the revised version for Pat? And did he say I it's done? I okay. Not, well, maybe it's but... not done. I don't know. <laughs> But I, he was very like, that like to me is like a huge compliment because he, he doesn't do that. So that was like really cool that he offered up such sage advice, and unsolicited. Not to denigrate the song, but the, the change from she to you makes it much more of a Hallmark message. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, you, you don't buy a card at the store for someone and, and it says, she's great. <laughs> 
you know, <laughs> yeah. You, you buy a card that says you're great. Yeah. It's, you know, it's funny. it turns it's, it into a message. Right. As opposed to uh, news reporting. Right. And like, there's, there's something to it. Like there's a time and a place where, sh- where a third person is going to make sense. Um, and that's like one of Pat Passon's like met, like one of his big lessons. He's like, run it through every iteration, run it through she, he, they run it through. I, you run it through, um, you know, like remove yourself even further and tell a story from, you know, a, a narrator's perspective like that. And then to run it through these different perspectives, um, is, is a standard Pat Patterson trope, but it's just funny. Like, I really love this song. I'm really happy with it. But when I was playing, I'm like, I'm so excited about it. Cause I just love my niece and she's so great. And she gave me this wonderful song to write that like, I was super close to it and it took you know, I didn't even know that it wasn't there yet because I was like, oh, I love this song so much. And there was nothing wrong with it per se, but you take it, tweak it a little bit and it's just that much better. Um, it just takes, you know, a step back and sometimes outside perspective to give you that view that like, oh, this has just, it could go just a little bit further. And yeah, I get too close to things sometimes. And <laughs> a friend of mine has mentioned it's, you get too precious about it. You like hold these things really close to you and you're very precious about them and you don't want to let them go, even if it's not serving them the best. So like lines and songs or words or lyrics or melodies, it's like you get too precious about them and you're actually no longer doing them justice. You're just, you're being selfish with those things. So it was like, I I don't even think that I knew that I was being too precious about it at the time. And now I'm like, oh, that makes perfect sense. And I'm not mad about it. I'm actually very excited about it. So I love that song. I love playing it. It's fun. Well, Grace is obviously precious to you. <laughs> yes, she is. 